a listener production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Join us each week as we break down one issue in global politics so that you can understand what's going on in the world right now and what's likely to happen in the future. Our host, Dr Keith Souter, is one of Australia's leading commentators on global affairs and geopolitics. My name is Sasha Tannock. I'm a journalist. And Keith, today we're looking at the 30th anniversary of the fall of the Soviet Union. So it's a very historic time. Vladimir Putin says that it's the biggest tragedy of the 20th century. Some of us would say it's one of the best successes of the 20th century, but it's certainly uh, it's an interesting time. So what happened is the Soviet Union was formed in 1917 and was seen at the time as a major alternative to what was going on in the world. So if you cast your mind back to the interwar periods, so the 1920s and 1930s, you had the Western democracies like the United Kingdom, the United States, France, Australia, all seem to be going through their own upheavals and problems. Then you get the rise of fascism beginning in Italy and then going across to to Germany. And they said, look, we're not going to bother with democracy. We can get the country to work well. We will work with industry um, and we will continue to uh, revive the economies from the First World War. The third approach was that of the Soviet Union. So the Soviet Union had a Russian revolution in 1917. It pulled out of the alliance fighting Germany. It sought a separate peace deal, which costed a lot of territory. And then um, following the death of Lenin, a few years after the revolution, you get the rise of Stalin, who said he wanted to create what he called the new Soviet man. So you have people like H.G. Wells, the British writer, going to the old Soviet Union and saying, look, this is obviously the land of the future. Things are working well. There's a good health system. Um, You don't see people unemployed. It was actually illegal to be unemployed in the Soviet Union, which meant you couldn't sack your workers. So you had a job for life. The slogan was, uh, they pretend to pay us and we pretend to work. I travelled extensively behind the Iron Curtain in the Cold War years, so I've got a million stories about what life was like in the Soviet Union. It, It was a country very different from what you would see in the Western world. And, of course, what was interesting is that the fascist dictatorships, the Nazi dictatorships um, of Italy and Germany didn't last, and the Soviet Union, which bore the brunt of World War II in the European theatre, you know, we're we're so accustomed to having Hollywood movies of John Wayne, etc. But, in fact, uh, the bulk of the fighting between June of 41, when Germany invaded the Soviet Union, and June of 44, which is when you have D-Day and the invasion of the Atlantic Wall by the British and the Americans, etc. So you've got three years, and the bulk of the fighting was being done by the Soviet Union, and they bore the brunt of the casualties, etc. And the war finished, and the Soviet Union and the United States were left as the two great superpowers. And so those people in the 1920s and 30s who had been bamboozled by what they saw in the Soviet Union were saying, well, we told you, it's a powerful country, it's well organised, people um, are being removed from poverty. Okay, it's not a dramatically spectacular consumer society, but you don't have shortages of food or energy. Um, I remember on one occasion in the old Soviet Union, um, and a colleague of mine had died of neglect in London 
So this woman, who had been a very rich woman, uh, lost her husband and then uh, sold off the possessions in her mansion. And she would not accept any charity. She would not accept assistance from um, the local council. And she, she was found dead weeks later. And so this was prior to my going to uh, on another trip to the Soviet Union. And I was talking to people there uh, about what had happened to this poor woman. And they said that would never happen in the Soviet Union. Because the Soviet Union was a police state, if you're not seen on the streets, they get suspicious. Right. right? <laughs> <laughs> you do not die of neglect in the old Soviet Union because people are saying, well, where is this particular individual? So, so what like what was life like in the Soviet Union in comparison then? I mean, it's hard for Westerners to imagine, but you mentioned that compared to London. That's incredible. Yeah, it, it is very difficult for us to imagine what life was like. So if you take the post-war period, so Russia or the Soviet Union is the superpower rivaling the United States. I might just say that the Soviet economy had a, a size about that of Canada. And yet because of the way it was structured, it didn't waste money on advertising or anything like that. It meant that they, the government could concentrate on putting people into space. They were the leaders in the space race. And we're still relying on their Soviet technology when we come to the International Space Satellite. So they were very good at that. You know, you're always impressed with the way that people would um, go to uh, the ballet for just, in our sense, um, just for a few cents. Uh, on my trips, I always avoided that. Uh, so I always asked to go to the circus instead. Much more interesting than ballet, I can tell you. So there were things that were easily available. You'd hear about people who just board a plane and fly off to the ski fields for the weekend. Because it was a controlled economy, again, this is very difficult for us to try to understand, it's what's called an autarkic economy. In other words, it was tight control over the economy, including the movement in and out of the Soviet economy. And so the government said, we will look after poor people, which is certainly what they did. We will make sure there's education, good medicine, etc. And that way they managed to win the hearts and minds of people. Now, there's a lot of overtop propaganda, etc., which... And I think the average Soviet person was actually a, a smarter consumer of Soviet media than Australian consumers are of Australian media. Because in the Soviet Union, you knew you were being lied to. And so when you read something in a newspaper, you had to read between the lines to work out what was going on. So these were very sophisticated readers. Interesting. Naturally Whereas, a bit sceptical. Yeah, here in Australia, you know, people, well, for a start, they don't read newspapers and they're busy <laughs> looking at cat videos or whatever. So it, it, it was a, a different sort of society. I don't want to be praising it too much. It was a brutal society, a police society. The problem was running an autarkic economy will run you into problems when it comes to technological innovation, right? So the Soviets could do great things very basically, like the space race, uh, like nuclear missiles, nuclear testing, etc. But I wrote a book in the early 80s where I looked at the threat of this new invention called computers for the Soviet Union because it was quite clear that if you have a computer, for a start, you have a printer, and you're not allowed in the old Soviet Union to have your own printer because, after really? all, you might be printing out uh, Samizdat, uh, in other words, underground newspapers, so you're not allowed to print stuff out. And also you're not allowed to get additional information. Remember, these are very shrewd consumers of news. So they knew they were being lied to. And the, the fear of the Soviet leaders 
is that people will get onto the internet and see that life in the Soviet Union wasn't nearly as good as was being promised. So the dilemma that I wrote about, by this time Mikhail Gorbachev had become the Soviet leader and he was trying to revive the old Soviet economy. And his dilemma was that on the one hand, he could see that the old techniques that had worked so well for the Soviet Union, the heavy industry, et cetera, they were coming to the end of their useful life. What he's got to do is to move into a service sector, more information technology-based, and that would then present challenges for the Soviet regime. And Gorbachev nearly never really solved that dilemma, and in the end it helped bring him down. You're listening to Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. I'm Sasha Tanik, and Keith, today we're talking about the 30th anniversary of the fall of the Soviet Union. Now, Keith, you did mention Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev. Why was it that his so-called revolution from above failed? Yes, well, what he's trying to do, he introduced ideas called glasnost and perestroika, two old words from uh, uh, Russian history. So what he was seeking to do was to liberalise the country just bit by bit. Remember, it's a very tightly controlled communist society. So he's trying to liberalise it and allow the free flow of information. The problem was that the Soviet Union was just such a fragile structure that as you started to liberalise it, then suddenly everything fell apart um, and fell apart at a great speed. I was in the Soviet Union just prior to the collapse. In fact, I was in Germany just prior to the fall of the Berlin Wall. If somebody had said the wall is going to come down in a few months' time, I would have said you were mad. I'm in good company. The CIA was saying the same thing to Reagan and, and Bush, so Bush Sr. So uh, they also thought that the Soviet Union was going to be around for quite a while. So I'm in good company when it comes to getting that wrong. And so what is interesting, therefore, is that the um, as Gorbachev tried bit by bit to just loosen the system, it's a bit like really pulling at a, at a, a thread of a fabric and you start to pull it and then suddenly the whole of the fabric falls apart. And that was Gorbachev's problem. Gorbachev is um, uh, lionised in the West. At one point, he was more popular in American politics than President Reagan, but he wasn't born in the United States. He could have run for the White House. He was very popular. But of course, at home, he is loathed. He is seen as responsible for the destruction of the Soviet Union. And the further you get away from that old Soviet era, the more nostalgic people become. And certainly when you go to, well, what is now Russia today. So the Soviet Union was this federation of countries uh, like Russia, Ukraine, Belarus, all put together. So that all then split apart 30 years ago. And uh, Russia then, which is the largest of the land masses, which was calling the, the shots even in the days of the Soviet Union. So Russia then stands on its own. And if you're in Russia and you've got money, you can do very well. On the other hand, if you haven't got money, you're living on the street, which would not have been allowed in that old Soviet era. That's why there are a lot of people who look back with nostalgia at what life was like in the Soviet Union. And you mentioned the rest of the world could never have expected that Soviet Union would fall. Do you think the Soviet citizens themselves were prepared for that or could see it coming? No, they were taken by surprise as well. Mm. As I say, I'm in good company and getting it wrong. <laughs> Everybody else got it wrong as well. It just seemed to be such a fixed fact of life, including the young Vladimir Putin, who was a KGB in, in what was then East Germany. He was taken by surprise by what was going on both in the Soviet Union and also in East Germany, which he was supposed to be keeping an eye on. And he then rang Moscow 
and said, I've got demonstrators trying to pull down the wall. Can I shoot them? And there was nobody in Moscow to answer his phone call. He is traumatized by that event. And that continues to haunt him. So he, he has this interesting attitude that on the one hand, the Soviet Union was a great contribution to world affairs. Remember, he had a lot of people supporting him in that point of view who were living in the UK or France, etc. But at the same time, he recognised that there were limitations with the way in which the Soviet Union operated. And that's been his dilemma. It was his problem coming to the anniversary of the, of the Russian Revolution that he had in um, 2007. How are you going to celebrate that sort of event? And in fact, he's quoted as saying, Putin, those who don't regret the passing of the Soviet Union have no heart, but those who want it back, quote, have no brain. What exactly do you think he's well, what trying he, to say yeah, what he, he's really, that's a brilliant quote. It really, what, he, what he's doing is actually revealing this dilemma that you've got some people who are nostalgic, but at the same time, you've got to recognise you're not going to be able to recreate it. That era has gone. Russia still remains a major player. Under Putin, things have improved, he would say, uh, by having more wealth. He's very lucky because a lot of Russian wealth comes from the energy sector and there's a global shortage of energy, as you will have noticed. So he's doing well there. So in, in one sense, he's actually doing well, but he's not going to be able to recreate the Soviet Union. But what, of course, he is doing is trying to claw back some of the land that the old Soviet Union has lost. So when he took over Crimea seven years ago, that was the first time that Moscow had increased the total size of the area of the earth for which it's responsible. So he clearly has still ambitions in his mind. So to that point and to the present day, is the timing of that aggressive military activity 30 years on, the, the timing of that activity on the Ukrainian border that's escalated this year in particular yeah. in recent months, is that coincidental given this anniversary or...? I don't think it's much linked to the anniversary, but it's certainly very important because what he's saying to the West, do not continue to move so close to my border. That is the message that he's giving. And I've got to say, I have sympathy for that point of view. NATO is there to look after Western Europe, not Ukraine. Now, it's pretty tough if you are Ukrainian and being bullied by Russia. And of course, people are being killed as we speak at this very moment because of the skirmishes that go on in the trench warfare between Ukraine and Russia. But in the West, we can't be responsible for solving everybody's problem, and that includes Ukraine. So I think Putin is right to say to NATO, don't get, don't creep so close to the Russian border. We are paranoid. Mm. And you've got to understand Russian history to understand why they are paranoid. And as we reflect on this 30th anniversary uh, and, and Putin's actions, is it still about clawing back some of that power that Russia had and has since lost? Yeah, exactly. So he has this tribal memory of a great Russia, and a Russia that was the equal of the United States. Remember, people now talk about China as the equal to the United States. Well, well, he can remember a time when it was the Soviet Union that was the equal. That's really what he's got in mind. These are his global ambitions. So in summary, is it possible to say what it was that brought along the collapse of the empire as we reflect on this 30th anniversary? Well, I think it was the reforms that Gorbachev felt obliged that he had to introduce and the reforms just got got out of control. Absolutely fascinating. That was this week's episode of Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. Make sure you tune in next week when we'll break down one issue in global politics so that you can understand what's going on in the world right now and what's likely to happen in the future. Listener.